This is my day out, though. I mean, I've been given the green light, Laura. I was told, take your time. So you're so here at my I'm house just recording. Lo- I am loose on the world. I am going to really just try to knock out some little errands here and there. It's going to be it's going to be very you're gonna fun. You're going to go more than two hours without changing a diaper. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait. Can't wait. So after this, okay, uh, so we're recording... And then we're eating lunch, which is Thai food. Right. And then you're going to what? You're going to go... I'm just going to wander around town like a vagrant, Uh I figure. Um, Just kind of... Well, it's icy. Be careful. That was the thing I used to do in my old life. Yeah. Just like wander. I was a wanderer. Yeah, you called them treat walks. (laughs) (laughs) You'd go for a walk and you'd end up with a treat. Okay, so when I was framing it... It would sounded a lot cooler and more cerebral, <laughs> and now you're making me sound like someone who just like, like a person who just like needed a snack, and that's less interesting you're both and of those moody. Things. Yeah, that's the thing. You contain multitudes. You're deep and endless ocean. That's right. I am a deep and endless ocean who wants a breakfast sandwich. Yeah. That's that's how it goes sometimes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm loose on the world. That'll be good. Nice day to quick like. Of course, like you can't be too long because I gotta like get home and. Do a bunch of work because that's the other thing that happens when I'm not on full time childcare duties. I actually sit down and do my job. But there's still time to go buy some Magic the Gathering. That's cards. right. You can do things like that. You can do things like, God, what do I even do anymore? I don't even know what I do anymore. I would, I, you know, I'm thinking like, oh, I could go like hit a tennis ball or something. But I'm just tired. Maybe <laughs> I just want to like go nap. Um. Anyway, welcome. This episode of Print Run. Uh, my name is Eric Kane, loose on the world. With me, as always, uh, is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, Laura. Um, it is once again really good to be back. We are recording for the second week in a row. Uh, hi, haters. For, for all those who thought we couldn't do it. I'm going to be thought... honest. The haters never made it past the treat walk <laughs> section of this recording. That's true. <laughs> that idiot is talking about treats again. Turn it off. Um, no, we're back again, and we are really, you know, we're in full swing. I mean, it's nice to be back recording still. We've got that, like, new season of Print Run glow about us. Um, it feels very good to be doing that. Um, it's the best exfoliant there is. That's right. Um, and we're going to be talking today primarily about, we're using as a sort of a launch pad into some other things, uh, the Brandon Sanderson Kickstarter. Um, you probably know what that is if you listen to the show. If you don't, we will break it down for you in a second and why it's interesting. Um before we get to any of that, um, I'm going to ask Laura for the rundown in a second, but I want to start with my own rundown thing uh, to start, which is that just I wanted to provide a quick update on um, a donation drive that you and I did uh, this last week. Yeah. Um, obviously, there is some very, it's a very horrifying wave of uh, transphobic and anti-trans legislation across it seems seemingly all over the place right now, but one place in particular was in Texas last week, if you all remember the edict that uh, Governor Greg Abbott sent out. But um, in response to that, you and I uh, offered to do some query critiques for some money that we would then turn around and donate to some various orgs. And just because I think it's important when you do things like that to be transparent about 
what you're doing with the money people are giving you, especially when it's in the name of a good cause. I just think it's important to kind of update our listeners there too. Um, we received, and this really felt really good and reminded me why I love this show. Um, we received about $2,100. I don't know the exact number off the top of my head. It was more than $2,100, but it was right it was right around there, which is amazing. Right around 22, actually. I was think. it? Okay, yeah. yeah. So right around in there, um, you know, over 2000 bucks, which unbelievable, you guys. Uh, thank you so much for donating. And a lot of people did just donate. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we had this thing where we, uh, you know, people who didn't necessarily need a query critique were donating for others and, you know, wanting to contribute to the cause. And um, that was really, that really meant a lot to me. And, it meant a lot, I know, to you, and it means a lot, hopefully, to these organizations that are trying to do good work for, uh, you know, trans kids in and their families and their in families Texas. in Texas. And we donated just so you know, uh, we donated two organizations. Uh, one's called Fiesta Youth in San Antonio. Um, another is called Out Youth um, in Central Texas. And the basic idea, the reason we like both is they had a strong emphasis on like family and community, and you know, creating spaces for these people to you know, be and, you know, live and have community and all that kind of stuff. And um, that mattered to us. And I just want to say to anyone who donated and anyone who listens to the show, and, you know, we've done donation drives like that in the past where people have contributed, but um, the listeners of this program are, you guys never cease to wow me. It really makes me I'm glad that we do this. You guys are always willing to rise to occasions like that. And I just want to thank you for that. And hopefully um, that money gets put toward really protecting people who need it. So anyway, and, yeah. And to, to abut that, Eric mentioned that a lot of people were donating money as gifts for mm-hmm. people who couldn't afford it to get mm-hmm. query critiques. We still have some spots do open. We? Yeah, okay, good. So if you uh, would like a query critique from us and you can't afford it, uh, send us an email. We are no questions asked. And as long as there's spots, we will get you added to the list. Um, and then for those of you who have purchased critiques or are receiving critiques from us, those will be trickling in over the next week or two. We're um, just hitting the end of a pretty intensive childcare situation. So after that, we're going to be sending them out pretty fast and furious. Um so that's where we're at. Uh, in addition, any other announcements? Let's see. We're at the, you know, beginning of March. Um, we will be turning our attention to bringing back the Query Show and the First Pages Show this calendar month uh, over on Patreon. Um, so that'll be really fun. Keep an eye out. I know a lot of you have been sending us your queries in your first pages, yep. even while we were on hiatus because of uh, family leave. I'd like to reiterate that you guys rule. <laughs> yeah. So we have um, we have plenty of submissions, but like also like this is your inv- invitation to like send your submission in. We like to do um, we pick them almost entirely randomly but we try to make sure that there is a spread across um category and genre within each episode so that they are of use to as many people as possible um so if you want to take a listen to that head on over to our patreon um you can also you know get access to entire years of backlogs of these same types of episodes um and if you want to submit your query or your first page for us to critique uh, you can send them to us. We're at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. Yes. So all that good stuff. Again, thank you. 
for sticking with us all this stuff it i just <laughs> i just want to say it every other sentence it feels so good to just like be back in this chair doing this again on the other side of parental leave like we're just making it work we're doing it the show is still here i feel great anyway let's get rolling um <laughs> so big thing happened big thing happened <laughs> in the world of yes. science fiction and fantasy um so in case you don't know in case you haven't been reading like you know, general news items or hanging out on Kickstarter or are living in the science fiction fantasy space. Brandon Sanderson, who is a very prolific fantasy author over the last Mm -hmm. 15, 17 years, something like that. Um, Very famous for a series of interconnecting novels set in this like magical universe and so he he's got this like huge sprawling set of worlds mm-hmm. that he keeps revisiting and there's a couple of recurring characters but anyway um he's also very famous for like writing an obituary for robert jordan that was so good that robert yeah. jordan's widow was like hey do you want to write the rest of the wheel of time books and yeah. then also be a producer <laughs> on uh the tv show um so yeah. Brand- brandon the kickstarter sanderson um, has launched his second Kickstarter, and mm-hmm. uh, we are, I think, seven or eight days into this Kickstarter. I have it pulled up right here, yeah. And it is now the most funded Kickstarter ever. So before uh, before we get to the number, can we say what he's offering? Because like, I'm going to read the number for you, okay. but I want us to know exactly what we're getting before I read that number. So this is a Kickstarter that is essentially functioning as a pre-order for four secret novels, novels that he hasn't told anybody about, that he's written over the course of the pandemic. Um, four secret novels that most people don't know any anything about by now uh-huh. um, that will be released quarterly in 2023. And then you, you know, the options are you can get it in ebook, audio, uh, collectible hardcover or some some combination thereof but then mm-hmm. also a little bit higher up on the tier there is um, something that he's calling like the year of Brandon Sanderson which is every month that a novel doesn't come out uh, a lot of people are have also signed up for a series of eight swag boxes to be delivered once a year throughout the year that are kind of based around various characters or various worlds or books in his oeuvre so we're talking like a lot of stuff a lot of deliverables here mm-hmm. how much has he made eric in well, a me... week <laughs> so he has first of all one hundred thirteen thousand one hundred sixty. Oh, seven. i'm looking at the live tracker one hundred thirteen thousand one hundred sixty seven backers at the time of this recording at the time of this mi- second it'll be different by the time i finish this sentence um, and the current number is $26,422,957. With the goal of originally $1 million to do this project. So this dude, 26 mil. 26 and a half and, mil. And By count- the time we're done recording this episode, it'll be 26 and a half million. And counting. Like yeah. this is just... <laughs> there are 22 days to go on this Kickstarter. <laughs> so this is... But, I mean, this is amazing, right? This is a smashing success. Obviously, this is an author who comes at this with, you know, a large platform, right? Like, this is not a out-of-nowhere thing um, in terms of 
you know this person's like public platform and his fandom and all this sort of stuff like it makes sense on a lot of levels that he would have success doing this this level of success is really interesting it's freaking everybody out yes exactly um and so we so the question that's been going around and around and around and everybody's been thinking about and you know first of all a lot of people um are rightly pointing out you know what are the chances that somebody who isn't you know a white 40-something dude who's been traditionally published for 20 years would be able to do this? And the answer Mm -hmm. is they probably wouldn't. Um, But overall, the question is, what does this mean for publishing? What does it mean that an author can go, hey, I have four new novels. I'm not going to tell you anything about them. Mm -hmm. They're going to cost... Each hardcover is going to cost 40 bucks. Mm -hmm. It's going to be real fancy. Uh, and my goal is to make $1 million and it made it in 35 minutes. <laughs> right? Like, what does that mean for publishing? Okay. So it's, <laughs> there, I mean, it means a lot. Or it can mean, it can mean. I was going to actually say it doesn't mean anything. So I want to rephrase what I said <laughs> because I don't disagree with what that framing. But what I, what I mean to say is it can mean whatever you want it to mean in a certain way, depending on who you are in this ecosystem. Right? Like. On the one hand, it's if you're me, I'm looking at this and it kind of means that it feels like kind of a case study that at a certain point um, authors really aren't getting what they're paying for when it comes to working with traditional publishers. <laughs> no, like, because I mean, think about it. Like, if an author, if you're, we've, and we've talked about this on the show before, but like when you sign a contract and your royalty rate is what, 15%? At some, most. At most, somewhere in there. Like, it's predicated giving away that 85% of the royalty it's sort of predicated on the idea that the publisher is doing most of the work to produce and sell the book mm-hmm. right like they're the ones who are fronting the costs all this kind of stuff and but you do hit a certain tier of author where like I mean someone obviously like Brandon Sanderson but like even you know there are less successful very successful writers who probably fit this mold too where it's like are is the publisher really giving you doing 85% of the work here like in selling this or are you the one who is actually moving the needle here and clearly in this case when he says okay I'm going to just subvert that whole process I'm just <laughs> going to put this out there you know and you you know crowdfund it to cover the cost of making the dang thing all that kind of stuff and like but so here's it, here's why him doing this and what looks to be on the surface like a big publishing upset isn't actually. And I want to take you through all of this. Okay. Element number one. This dude is already like a New York Times bestseller. He um, and has been for I think 15, 16 years. Okay. Um, In addition, he has just made kind of just like a smart branding and content decision from the very beginning where he created this world that is there are some small series within it but this overarching world that grabs people um is varied enough in terms of magic system and in worlds but is connected in such a way that you can get buy-in sort of at any point of you know his books in the last 15 years rather like it you can compare it to like another really big like white science fantasy like science fiction fantasy author like George R. R. Martin who has one series and that's the series and like you gotta read it in order and you gotta do the whole thing okay so we already have multiple ways to tie in that okay in addition he's 
raised his star by being hitched to Robert Jordan, Mm -hmm. who came before him and has finished that Wheel of Time series, which is also getting a really big push because of the film that just came out, right? Or the the TV show that just came out. Which you say I should watch, by the way. It's... It's I like it. Okay. I like it. Right. Um I it's updated a lot of the things that I didn't like about the okay. books. Yeah. It could have gone a little bit further in some ways, but overall it was very enjoyable. Okay. Okay. Like it's a really good kind of like if you like The Witcher, you'd probably like this. Anyway. I also haven't seen The Witcher. Oh my god. <laughs> okay. Somebody like bully Eric into like watching these shows. Um okay, in addition, Brandon Sanderson is just like generally prolific, right? Like he mm-hmm. is just like a writer that writes a little bit more. This was actually um, part. So this was <laughs> the thing that I probably got. So I had a lot of writer friends who are not in publishing in yeah. the way that like you and I are, like who texted me about like, hey, did you see Brandon Sanderson's Kickstarter? And I was expecting the conversation to go in the direction of like what we're doing where we're like going to like talk about it in terms of publishing ramification but no the thing they wanted to talk about is this dude just wrote four secret novels like over the course how did he even like it was the output thing they were like how did this person (laughs) even do that well (laughs) it's because he has material support like that's that's kind of the thing like he is a big enough name author where he has his projects planned out and he has support for that over several years and so his thing was that I was able to write these four novels that nobody knew about because I wasn't traveling because it was a pandemic. And I don't think right. it's I don't think a lot of people understand like how much in-person time um like science fiction and fantasy authors that are really big names spend going to like conventions and doing events and like mm-hmm. that is like a whole job, right? Yeah. Um and at this point he has a team. Like his wife is his business manager. Like He's not out here answering emails. He is writing for eight hours a day. He does like two four-hour chunks, right? Right. Um, Like that's what he's doing. (laughs) And he's just like, you know, he's just a dude that writes a lot, which is also something like, yes, he has all of these material conditions that allow that to happen. But he's always just been a dude who writes a lot. Um, In addition to that, a lot of his works in recent years have been co-written. He's got a lot of co-writers that... He is developing stories with. So that is also an added level of support. Um, But I think the most important thing is that he has always been really, really, really smart about his like engaging his fans in kind of his brand in terms of a like larger business sense so he has a company like this is a this is a well-established company and has been going for many years called dragon steel books this is a company that has like a whole bunch of employees and is specifically a company that that does like swag like i'm on their i'm on their landing page right now and there's brandon sanderson licensed jewelry there's a t-shirt there's a bookshelf print there's socks (laughs) <laughs> and there's leather-bound anniversary editions cool. of his existing books. Look, if you can do it, you can do it. You know what I mean? Right. Like this, I mean, and that is, I think, kind of the story here, too, is, like, this person is pushing on every earned advantage he's given himself, right? Like he's There's some, a plushie. 
There's a slug wait, wait, who's plushie? The plushie. Is it the plushie of him or no? One of it's his a Doom Slug plushie. No, no, no. I want a plushie of Brandon Sanderson. Well, you should write him a letter. <laughs> um, but the, but the big thing is, is he had room in his rights to make and sell some ebooks, some audiobooks, and then like really wonderful collective leather bound editions. And he's been doing that for years and sending them like his first novel, Elant- Elantris. Um, Elantris, I don't know how to say it. I'm Minnesotan. Leave me alone. Um, the leather-bound version of it is selling for $100 on his website. No, no. And so he not only has the 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 workers with him Mm-mm. and has supply chain relationships already done and has printers and has merch producers and mm-hmm. has already like done market research onto the merch that people want to buy in relationship to him. Mm-hmm. But like he's not just a dude who's really famous who's just like deciding to like release whole four lot of books. work here. We're talking entire years yes. of work here. Yes. And he did this is not this is Dragonsteel Books second um Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So they did one in 2020. So they know about I mean this distribution is getting like crazy out of hand. But they they're not noobs here like they have the business he is specifically the owner of a publishing company that does fancy high-end versions of what he's doing already and the one thing that like makes me really excited as an agent it's it's he's doing swag and ebooks and audiobooks and fancy collectors hardcovers for these four secret novels and then once they're gone, they might be gone forever. But then also he is leaving um, print and hardcover for these four books available for a publisher at some later point. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yeah. So crucially, this is a specialty Kickstarter, mm-hmm. right? These are first. This is not just like regular books being published on Kickstarter. These are fancy. They are collectible. They are art objects. And so you can see why all of these elements come in. And this is not something that like another person can copy it's without significant buying. It's not a phenomenon. Like it's it's actually the result of a lot of careful, you know, and slow building work over a lot of years, like you're saying. And like you mentioned like at the top of the show, you know, you know, you said this changes nothing. And I think you make a pretty compelling case for it here like this because it's like this is not like usually when what happens in publishing is Mm -hmm. something anything happens like some writer you know has some sort of unexpected fast success or some type of book suddenly takes off or all of a sudden everyone's talking about this one you know quote unquote unlikely project and we say oh trend shift something is different here or hey maybe this what does this spell for the industry <laughs> and uh, we're that often it's often because we, it's like we've unearthed something like we found like a like it's almost like an accident happened you know what i mean like it wasn't yeah. supposed to go that way and suddenly maybe this means that there's a different trend we could be capitalizing on or whatever this is not that this is someone who did a whole i mean there's sort of the splashy like i think everyone kind of jumped out of their skin a minute because like four secret novel like it sort of came out of nowhere like in the <laughs> announcement phase you know and it was such a big thing and it moved so fast with the especially with this number that is already up like 
I mean, he's made a lot more than like a standard advance just since we've been talking. <laughs> <laughs> um, just looking at this number, which is its own, however you want to take that, horror, exciting, whatever. Um, it's also worth mentioning that none of this is going to be fulfilled for yeah. nine more months. Yeah. The well, first thing year, will come in. Yeah, it's a 2023. Yeah. So like, we're working on a really clever timeline here. Yeah. So yeah. one thing that you post... Because you, you brought this up as the thing you wanted to talk about. And yeah. we wanted to make sure that we didn't just recap this situation. And that's not Because really it doesn't actually doing. apply right. to publishing. Exactly. But the, so you framed it. I was kind of sitting here going, yeah, no, that's that's interesting. I mean, I see why maybe our listeners would want to hear that. Not totally convinced it's a topic, whatever. But then you framed it to me on my terms. You framed it to me with a question <laughs> that made me interested in a way, you, you brought me in in exactly the way you often know how to bring me in. And you posed the question, what are the dumbest people going to take away from this? Specifically, <laughs> the CEOs. Yes. Like, like what, what mistaken conclusions are people going to draw from this? And that is a question in publishing that I love um, across any number of topics. But the thing here, I think there's a number of things that could happen. And the one that came to mind first for me is I do worry about something like this. I think basically every quote-unquote bad or like weird thing that could possibly happen from this comes from misinterpreting this as a yeah. phenomenon and not a large-scale project that took a lot of years to set up, right? We can see a lot of people being like, oh, we could do a Kickstarter yeah. and then fail like, at it. Right, like, yeah. and so w one thing that might I think might happen on the part of like people with acquisitions power or like, you know, editorial directors or like you know, even like publishing CEOs, whoever it is, like, I'm worried that this could set a precedent of, I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this, like having to demonstrate, demonstrate um, existing interest in your work like this. Cause like, I just remember like when Twitter got really big, right. And when, how many followers yeah, do you have? Like all of a sudden it became this like common knowledge and you hear it like, it's so beaten into us now that we forget that it wasn't always the thing where publishers would wonder aloud and it would be very crucial well how many followers do they have how many how many like people on social media are they reaching all this sort of like and we but, can dissect that all we want and that's the difference fine. here though is that this is people actually ponying up money right like, a lot of times um small self-publishers will run like a kickstarter or a gofundme as a function of pre-orders like right. it's it's not even necessarily they're not really thinking about it in terms of proof of concept. They're saying, how can I pay this gigantic printing bill that I'm needing to front? Uh, and the answer is, is you get a bunch of pre-orders beforehand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, so like I do just worry, though, that in the same way, because like building a Twitter following and like building that platform, that's that's work, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're an author and you're trying to do these things and you're trying to display that you are someone who is a viable publishing acquisition because you're bringing X, Y, and Z to the table from a promotional standpoint, it is work to build those things. And publishing, I think, has done a very successful and very harmful job of foisting all of that work onto the author, right? Like, I mean, it's now you have to come in prepackaged with all this <laughs> stuff. And I just worry that obviously not to this scale, but are we going to get to a point where a publisher might say, well, let's see you prove it before we make a deal. Let's see you 
let's say you get those you know financial commits before we dip in any resources of our own mm. and that scares me and like there are a million other things with this too but like i just every time something like this happens especially when it's a big name like this who does something on their own i worry that something that might happen is publishers will look at that and say okay we're gonna make all these other authors do that too and, but for us, instead of for But for yourself. us, in a way that, minim- once again, foists risk and work onto the creator as opposed to us, the publisher, you know? And that that could happen here. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but, like, if you misinterpret what this is and you suddenly see, oh, writers can, you know, do Kickstarters well before the book is even out now or crowdfund, you know, themselves, like, pre-sales. Mm-hmm. Like if crowdfund that maybe that's the best way to put it. If crowdfunding your pre-sales beforehand becomes something that publishers look at and say, "Ooh, that's tasty." Like we want authors to do that. Like I think that's a that's not good. That is not good. And like I do not want that and I and I say that as someone who is thrilled by this project. I think it's really cool. Like I am unapologetically into this uh this Kickstarter. I think it's cool when writers are able to do things like this, but you have to be able to not apply everything you see to every other writer you're considering, you know? So you, I, I think that that focus on publishers will be, you know, more and more willing to take on risk, but pushes us into the thing that we talk about a lot, which is um, the disappearing mid-list and that focus on celebrity books. But I, I would say that the thing, like, my mind when I think of what are people who think they know how books work but don't know how publishing works going to take away from this Kickstarter and my worry is very different than yours so the first thing that worries me is actually a really really small observation from this very big and flashy Kickstarter um, which is something that's a little bit more obvious in Sanderson's previous Kickstarter from 2020 yeah um, where he just like offers up a novella or like a different story as as sort of like a freebie for the larger point of it, which was a a larger book, sure. right? Sure. Um, <laughs> that makes me really nervous. Like from from an agenting standpoint, the idea that. F- a certain format like the ebook or the audiobook of a particular property or even an unrelated property can be used without a ton of com- compensation as like a freebie or a giveaway. I was going to say it's like the goodie in like <sighs> yeah, yeah, like I'm right. not okay, I'm not against that as like a concept cuz it's something that you see indie authors use a ton to very very successful effect. Um, what worries me is if a big publisher starts trying to be really, really rights grabby. Yes, um, absolutely. And what it'll do then is it gets really, really complicated to pay for something like that. Um, and especially if you are a successful author and you're making, you know, six figures for a book deal mm-hmm. and is is you know, as far as an advance, Mm -hmm. the idea that a publisher will say, well, we only really want to acquire this book if we can have you write this other thing for free. Like that doesn't work. Right. Like that, that gets a little, that gets a little sketchy. And it gets back to the same sort of thing where it all comes from a misdiagnosis of like what's, I mean, well, I guess it's two things. It's one, it's a misdiagnosis of what they're looking at, which is like, 
a actual strategy over many years versus mm-hmm. a phenomenon they just see and think they can immediately replicate. And then also, I mean, yeah, this the rights grabby thing is so real. Yeah. And like, it's always like if there is like some phenomenon aspect of it or some sort of like turning point that could happen, that could be it. I think that's actually a really, really good point because it's always like I feel like rights grab stuff happens when suddenly publishers look at a landscape and see like a certain format doing a certain thing they didn't expect, right? Yeah. Like all of a sudden, like audiobooks, for instance, right, are. I, I mean, the last couple of years, at least, you know, they've gotten really hot. You know, people love they're them. They're exploding. They, they're yeah. exploding, you know, and it sort of came from this this revelation all of a sudden that people would really like to listen to stuff. And so now... And we th- have the technology to support exactly, that and make it not exactly. horribly expensive. Exactly. And so now the way that trickles down to, like, our job is, like, audio is a much more hotly contested format, you know? I mean, yeah. it's something that... Um, you know, you used to be able to retain certain things without much conversation, and now it's a conversation when you want to. And if they do want it, you got to figure out: well, are you actually going to do something with it? And how, like that, I think your point that like there's all anytime anything like this happens, there's always a rights grab yeah. from somebody. Yeah. <laughs> to put it another way, one guy in one Kickstarter using an ebook version or an audiobook version as like a fun add-on or as a little like addition to a collectible hardcover so it's like different formats of the same book that's just you know that's just a thing that he's doing right um when you take that treating of different formats and kind of like cheaper slash smaller formats yeah as little freebies and if you apply that to like a corporation scale that's when it becomes really, really exploitive. So that particular thing is worrying me. And like as somebody who's seen many, 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 many con- publishing contracts across many, 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 many publishers, there is language that determines, you know, how much a, a, a format will sell for and that determines how royalties are paid and if they're paid at all. And there is also language in most contracts about how much of a particular property can be used for marketing. And you can see very easy how it's they could yep. change that yep. because, hey, it's marketing now, which is just an ultimate like devaluing of a format when we fought long and hard to make a $10 ebook reasonable because that is reasonable. Yeah. Right. It is reasonable. And so kind of following the thread of rights grabs. Turning something into, just before you move on. Yeah. Turning something, pushing something into the realm of marketing as a way of devaluing it mm-hmm. is a really fascinating idea and one that we could probably spend a whole other show on. But we probably Maybe could. we will. Like, I'm going to bookmark that because that, that is something that could happen here and it is something that has happened with other author activities, other formats of different writing. You know, it makes me think of like, you know the term exposure right like mm-hmm. i mean anything that they can call oh you're d- you're doing promotional work not you know work that we can sell i don't know anyway that is an aside that gets my brain turning on all sorts of other things let's fin- <laughs> let's yeah so if we follow the rights grab yeah we get to merch and merch is a really really important thing particularly for like as a right for when 
you are exploiting like film or TV or just general performance rights. The idea that you can have branded merchandise or like tie in merchandise. Um, it's also really important to note like th that the um, if you license merch to somebody, um, then the like your cut as as the author is mm -hmm. very, very high. Yeah. Right. So like this is potentially an area where you can make a lot of money. If you have an mm -hmm. IP, that's to the point where people actually want to buy the merch. Sanderson has eight months of 2023 where he is providing hundreds of thousands of people with with branded merch. Mm -hmm. And he's also, you know, got an entire else, a company where there'll be like T-shirts and who knows what else there will be. Plushies, socks, etc. Um, <laughs> this is something that is always super fascinating to me because there is also a very thin line between merch that is produced for marketing and you see this a lot particularly in like the romance space where you get like pens or socks or bags or bookmarks or like mm -hmm. journals or whatever yeah. um merch that's for marketing and then merch that's for money and i could see like a very clueless publishing executive saying, you know, instead of paying these authors more, instead of acquiring more books that could potentially make us more money, what if we take this big celebrity book and make a bunch of merch, even though, like, they haven't done the market research that, <laughs> right. like, Sanderson has right. done? Right. And the thing is, the thing is, is also, is, like, Sanderson has not only done the market research and has built his thing over 15 years, but, like, he's also in a space where people fucking love to be a fandom. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. he's worked really hard to become a fandom and, you know, for a debut book or for just a, a sort of writer that's outside of this kind of fandom situation, you're not really going to see people being like, hmm, I'll have some merch. Like you had everybody going absolutely feral over like the Sally Rooney tote this past summer. <laughs> but that was but the thing is, also it was like. It was a marketing thing. Like, you couldn't buy the Sally Rooney tote, and the only people that were going feral over it were people who worked in publishing and have enough tote bags anyway. But so It's also but, a specific, like, I mean, we could also do a whole episode on the Sally Rooney tote, but... Oh, man. Um, it was the, a good tote. It was a great tote, but it was also such a perfectly... Like, in the same way that Sanderson knows his audience with this kind of merch, mm -hmm. the Sally Rooney tote, hits exactly who is reading yeah. those books exactly where they want to be hit yeah and um yeah no i mean it's just it's it's all a function of really knowing which kind of like merch is tricky it's a, merch, it's is, a, merch is really tricky yeah. and so here's the thing a lot of people don't know is that we're kind of entering into and this is also a totally separate episode but like we we are entering into this era of like book developers and packagers that are that are producing projects with the aim to not just have them be books but to also have them be in other multimedia spaces yeah. like film tv etc and um a lot of a lot of those are um playing a little fast and loose because they're sort of outside of the conventional publishing method mm -hmm. um and i know for a fact that there's a case of at least one of those packagers who is using like marketing costs to figure into the net for the payment of of like royalties oh interesting um yeah. which like you can see somebody going bananas over trying to do like tons of merch and tons of cool mer merch 
with the idea of of creating sort of a fandom or a brand and that could if it fails very very quickly um negatively affect the author not necessarily waiting until the next book when the sales aren't aren't you know when you get to when it gets to acquisitions and the sales aren't quite there um so so all of that is I can see like somebody thinking, oh, I'm going to innovate this. And they're like, we're going to we're going to figure out merch. We're going to develop fandoms and then absolutely just like fall flat. And the problem is, is God, like we're going to f- we're going to develop fandoms. I, that is what yes. they're going to say. And it's just such a horrifying thing because that's not at all. how That's it not works. how it happens. But that is what they're going to say. And, and the they- thing <laughs> is, is when they fall flat, the people who are going to be harmed by this are not the people who have developed that idea or have worked right. on the project, right. the people who are going to be harmed are the people whose properties are going to be used as a sort of guinea pig. I'm picturing the word fandom on a PowerPoint mm. in like a marketing meeting. In let's, like Helvetica font. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's make some fandoms for this book. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's going to, it's going to go really good. Um, I can see how there's going to be no problems. Yeah. Cause I think one of the things that publishing, at least like big corporation publishing, is not quite able to understand about something like the Sanderson Kickstarter, the Brandy Sandy Kickstarter, um, is that he's also working and functioning like from this fandom, but also from a place of like scarcity and value. Yeah. Like he is like, this is not only, you know, you have 30 days to sign up for this and then it's gone forever but that's you know that is true but more than that he has been spending again i keep coming back to like how how many years he's been spending releasing high quality versions of his products and his books but he has the reputation for high quality and delivering you know if he says you're getting a leather bound book it's going to be flipping pretty like yeah. that shit's going to yeah. be smith sewn it's not going to be glued right <laughs> Um, <laughs> I love but, that. No, I, I, but, unapolog- I really do think so that's awesome. Yeah. He understands the intersection of fandom and art and treating a book like it is an art object, yeah. which is something that I think fundamentally is going to be very difficult for the bulk of publishing, particularly fiction publishing. You mm-hmm. know, it's a little bit different for like the cookbooks and the lifestyle yeah. books or whatever. Yeah. But those are that's like an entirely different world. Sure. Sure. Uh, but in fiction, we're still focusing on units and bestsellers rather than, hey, I'm going to spend a hundred dollars on one version of this beautifully, beautifully published edition of this book. There are a couple of small publishers that do release limited edition, like fancy, fancy editions. But. There's going to be somebody, I swear, there's going to be somebody who says, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make like a fancy penguin classic cloth bound book, but like from a date, like from a debut, <laughs> like we're going to take a new book and we're going to try to do this what and it's not going to work. <laughs> what if you could like fool people? Like you just like take some new novel and be like, this is the classic edition of a text we all love. Like you just like you never quite lie. And you package it like it's a reissue of yeah. something really timeless. You could get, like... Do you think be, people would actually, like, no. okay. It would be a good... How about this? It would be a good bit. And I would enjoy it. And it would fall flat on its face. And probably everyone would get fired. Yeah. Because here's the thing about the Penguin Classics. 
The Penguin classics are the books that you have on your shelf because they look pretty. Yes. They're not the versions of those classics that you read, even if you read classics. Yeah. No, you read the, yeah, that's You read the ones with, like, the good annotations. You read the ones with, like, the historical elements and the good forewords. Like, that is what you read. Right. And what Brandon Sanderson has figured out how to do, and that's from, you know, the style of his working and how he's built his business and how he communicates with his fans, but he's figured out a way to merge the, hey, this is an art object, and hey, you want to read the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. And I am, I I would, I will probably never be convinced that like a big four, big five publisher will be able to look at these competing metrics. Cause like truly that's what they are. Like the really high quality art object books have a really higher price point. So they move, move fewer units yep. and moving fewer units is actually the goal because we're talking about exclusivity here. Mm-hmm. That is diametrically opposed to how corporate publishing work, which works, which is we want to sell as many books as possible. Yeah, it is. I mean, you can't do those two things together unless you are looking at it from outside of sort of a corporate perspective. So where I mean, like, where do we land with this then overall? I mean, it it seems like it's like if there is any like big one takeaway. I mean, it's mostly that this is not I guess if we had to like distill this, it would be like. I mean, my take from this would be if anybody tells you that they're innovating or they yes. had an idea based on this Kickstarter. Right. right. Don't trust <laughs> them. <laughs> no, that, that's exactly like, what I was going to say. It's like. The idea... Like, no, they didn't. No, they didn't have a good idea based on this Kickstarter. The distilling from this is that it's really crucial to understand that this is not just like a flash in the pan, that this is not like something that came out of nowhere. It's not something that came out of nowhere. It's It's not entirely based on one person's writing brand. In fact... That too. That's actually really key too because it's it's actually built on a, a company that he has spent a lot of time... There is a lot of moving parts here. There's a lot of parts that have been behind the scenes on something like this that make this possible. And if you try to remove those parts from the equation because you see you have some flashy idea, it is not going to go like this. And it is not going to help the people we on this show love to see helped. So, yeah, I mean, I guess like if you think you had a good idea based on this Kickstarter, (laughs) no, you didn't. Like, that's that's the takeaway uh, of this entire episode. Unless the idea, unless, the, the only good idea that you could have based on this Kickstarter is, I am going to start doing the careful and slow work to build out my own. Boom. There like, you go. There's no, like, if you see this and you correctly identify it for what it is, which is the end result of a very slow and solid operation that's been in progress for a long time. Yeah. And you say, oh, I should start something like that and have the patience and, like, you know work you know on that level of you know really building out a foundation and all that kind of stuff that's a good idea that's not an idea that's going to help you you know sell your book next month but it's a really good idea that might help you later on you know and it it is worth mentioning that like even though brandon sanderson is like living his life on the like easiest scale of difficulty right like he's on easy mode Mm -hmm. um he is still never made a bad book choice like he has you know whether I'm not sure how much of it was creative and how much it was business but like he built an ongoing world and an ongoing set of IP 
that he could keep expanding and brought people in at different times. Yeah. He's built a team. He's decided that he wants to focus on aesthetics and um, and exclusivity in addition to, you know, having sold 20 million copies of his books across the world as of, I think, 2021. Yeah. Like, he has figured out how, over a very long period of time, how to sort of thread the needle between these two elements. And he's done it by, like, a lot of very careful hard work. And even if you're looking at that and you're saying, well, I'm not going to be able to, like, work in a hotel overnight so I have time to write while I'm working. Or if you are saying, I can't write that many books a year. Like, I haven't even written 10 pages since the start of the pandemic. Like, that doesn't even matter. Like, you can still do the work no matter at what speed it is. Absolutely. No, I mean, I think that's right. And it's just it's really important to see this as the product and like outgrowth of patience and care mm-hmm. and not like flash in the pan social media phenomenon, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, $26 million or whatever it's going to be by the end <laughs> it of this has gone Kickstarter. Up. So since we started talking, <laughs> it's gone up. I don't quite remember the number, but at least like $35,000 oh, since we've been wow. sitting here. Yeah, that's that's it'll probably be at like 27 million by the end of. Today. Yeah, we're getting there. Yeah, it might be like 30 million by the time this episode posts. Oh my so God. that is. Yeah, that can be just like a horrifyingly ridiculous amount of money simultaneously with. He did the work, so this is probably going to like be OK. You know, yeah, it'll no, be interesting to see like if it's in, you know, in a pandemic, he'll be able to source like the even even the cardboard boxes for this sort of thing. But, you know, like he's also got proof of like yeah. proof of yeah, he does. everything because he's done it before <laughs> and <laughs> like he's got whatever. So um, if you someday want to create your own version of Dragon Steel books, um, good for you. And most authors don't. And that's also okay. Hooray. Hooray. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry there aren't like too many takeaways from this Kickstarter, but I think the important element of it is that there aren't takeaways from it. It's entirely yeah. kind of, it's, it is publishing, but it's totally outside of any other element of publishing right. that there is. And that that's okay. Right. And those things can exist at the same time. Uh, Thank you all so much for listening. I can't believe I'm the only one in this episode that said Brandy Sandy. Brandy Sandy. That's been Eric's favorite thing. I was restraining because I'm a professional. Well, that makes one of us. Uh, Remember, let us know if you can't afford a queer boutique and we'll get you added to our fundraiser and head on over to Patreon to see our other critiques. And we will see you for a regular episode probably next week. Brandy Sunday.